Hi, and welcome to The Forecast. I'm Alex Helmbrecht, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Daniel Binkard. And our guest today is Dr. Cassie Ritson, an associate professor, excuse me, an assistant professor in business. I know there's a difference between the two. So Cassie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we'll just get right off. Everyone knows that you're from Shattern. Well, I don't know. If they don't know, they know now. But um, you grew up here. So so give us the give us the details. What was it like living in this community, growing up in this community? And then wh- what's kept you here? So actually, I ended up moving here when I was 11. And so that was in sixth grade, which was a rough time to move right in um, middle school. Um, was it at the beginning of the year or in the middle of the we year? We moved in the summer. So I did okay. get to come in August. But I came from Greeley, Colorado. And when I came from Colorado, I was involved in one sport. I did softball, and that was what I did. We moved here, and I remember telling my parents, like, oh, my gosh, this is so small. How are we going to move here? Um, I had, like, two friends in Colorado. And then I got here, and it was rough adjusting in, in the, like I said, middle school at that age is yeah. hard. But, you know, at that time I was, I was already, like, five, six in middle school, so I only grew just a little bit after that. So I was tall at that point for my age. And we bought a house from one of my best friends now. And he was a basketball coach, and he's like, you're tall. You can play basketball. My dad and I are like, what? Are we going to do that? Got involved in basketball. Then I got involved in swim team. Then I started playing volleyball, and I got in a group with all these different um, girls playing sports. And that's an opportunity I never would have had in the big city. I think I probably would have only played softball, and I would have focused on that. But here I was able to engage in a lot of different things. Um, made a lot of friends. I ended up having 12 bridesmaids in my wedding, and six of those are from people (laughs) that were in high school. Um, And a lot of that came from sports and being able to participate in all those different things. You get to know people in the community. Um, People get to know you when you do all of those things and um, engage with all those people. And I think that's where uh, I value connection, and that's something that I do really value. And being in a smaller town or a rural area allows you to foster that if you want to. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm glad to hear that your parents moved you in the summer. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. We moved to a mid-year move. Yeah. And um, adding to that, that pain point is I went from a parochial school to a public school. And so that was a bit of a culture shock. <laughs> but uh, so I'm glad that it worked out well for you. And it, it was good for me, too. You're right. With those smaller towns, you, you do find those connections and you kind of find your niche. Yeah. Well, and I do think, you know, at that time it seems disastrous. You're having to move, yeah. you have to change, but there really is truth to it um, that those challenges do shape you as an individual and make you able to cope and adapt later on when you have to get outside your comfort zone and do those type of things. So it was good. But Shattern always has been um, a place that feels like home. I think part of why we like and part of why my husband and I came back is there is a different pace of life here. Um, you get to have more time to do things that you want to do because you aren't stuck in traffic and things are close. Um, mm-hmm. I think about dropping two kids off at two different daycares and going to work. I can do that in 20 minutes. Um, yeah. That's not probably on a rough day, mm-hmm. you know, when things are moving around. So I, I enjoy that um, slower pace of life, which is partly why we are back. Great. Yeah. So Cassie, I think you were part of the inaugural team when we brought softball back to CSC in 2006. Um, so tell us some of the highlights. And I, I uh, photographed a lot of those home games, and Alex covered a lot of those home games back when he was the SID, so we have our perspective. But what was it like from inside the pitcher's, pitcher's circle? 
Well, I would say that college was humbling, for one thing. <laughs> um, that extra three feet uh, moving you back in the circle changes <laughs> things, and you're going up against every number four batter that you ever faced in high school. So, um, But no, it was a wonderful experience for me. Um, I grew a lot as far as you know physically and mentally in the sport. But if we we're going to talk about the actual highlights of playing college softball, it was, once again, the people. Yeah. Um, that first year was probably my most memorable, not because it was our most successful, <laughs> um, but it was the most interesting. Uh, you talk about that photo shoot. If I recall, we were wearing shorts. Yeah, I can't remember because it was just um, it was like a head and shoulders with. Um, and I'll, I'll try and fl- flash it on the screen in the video here because it was the three pitchers, and I forget um, who the other two were at this point. I've, I've got it in my notes somewhere, but yeah, just and for me it was three subjects to work with while I played with lighting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was all good fun. <laughs> yeah. The truth comes out. Yeah, I, I'm all about the lighting. I don't care about anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who else? Um, but that first year we had a coach that was from the South, and he ordered us shorts to play. For one thing, I mean, not hardly any college teams play in shorts. And we are in Nebraska. And this was in the uniforms? Yes, the uniforms. I'm thinking of, I got a shot of um, one, I think it was second base doing the splits to force out a runner. And if I'm picturing that, I should flash that on the screen too, because I'm pretty sure you're right. She was wearing shorts. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, they're kind of that maroon and oh, silver. Yeah. And you guys will see on the screen here if I'm wrong in my memory, but yeah. <laughs> you- <laughs> and, you know, we're a new program. We're getting just introduced to the RMAC, and we're going down. I'll say one of the most significant memories I have was that first year, our very first game. We only had, like, 11 players, too. By the time we started playing the fall, people weeded out. They didn't, you know, they made different decisions about whether they wanted to play or not or whether they were going to stay or not. So we had 11 girls on our team, and it was February. And at that time, the we didn't have any rules about weather, about how cold it is. Now I think there's wind chill, mm-hmm. chill things. The 25-degree wind chill? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't, so you didn't have those back no, then? No, no. Um, and our GA was from Florida, and so she and she was tough. She was a really good softball player, but, I mean, she was tough. And she said, I never got to wear a sweatshirt or any coat <laughs> when I played. And we're like, but you played in Florida. Yeah. Um, we are in Colorado right now. And oh, yeah. we went down to UCCS, the only field in the conference at the time that had lights. It's February. It snowed. Oh, they no. made a delay. They delayed the game. And we started at 5 o'clock at night for a doubleheader Wow! in February, and it was zero degrees. And we, could, we had our Under Armour under our shirts, no sweatshirts, and our, we were in shorts playing. Oh, man. And I have never felt such pain. I think we probably broke all our bats and... I remember my dad would come and do a lot of the stats for us in the dugout. Yep. And I remember him saying, I've never seen you make so many errors in my life. And I said, well, I'm just trying to bat the ball down <laughs> and throw it because I couldn't move. Oh um, so that was the most frozen we ever played. Uh, a lot of the things I remember have to do with weather. It's I mean, we, softball at that time yeah. of year. Yeah. yeah. Especially in the conference that, that CSC plays in. It just it yeah. plays a role. Yeah, it's, it it's does. Like the, it's like the 10th player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've seen wet fields and slush fields here. It's <laughs> the delays. Yeah, and then 20 minutes later, it's sunny. Yeah. And- we went down to play in New Mexico, and, you know, you'd think we're going south. Things are going to be better. Blizzard. Um, I remember pitching, and my third baseman, Allie Hendrickson at the time, was talking to me and saying, I can't see the ball. Wow. I don't know. I'm, they The umps kept going, but you could not. I didn't know exactly where I was throwing, and we were playing in the blizzard. And when I moved to my other position, when I wasn't pitching in, in the outfield, if you if your feet got wet, you were in trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
And so we would take the trainer's ice bags, put them over our socks, and then put our feet back in the cleats to try to waterproof nice our, our feet. Yeah. <laughs> my, 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 uh, my predominant softball memory with Cassie playing is uh, it was a sunny day, and in the press box, if you're familiar with the CSC press box, uh, where I used to sit when I'd kept the stats and the and the book and ran the music and the pushed you were the one man show. Yeah, it was, there yeah, it was a one man show. But um, the window was open because it was hot and there wasn't an air conditioner at the time. And Cassie flashed me a death glare because the sun was hitting the window and it must have been <laughs> reflecting back down on the the ground yeah. somehow. And I didn't know what to what she meant. She was like pointing. Because I was high enough, I couldn't hear anything. But eventually, I got it figured out and closed the window. But uh, I certainly remember that. <laughs> I think that glare on the windows is just like this ever-present thing. Even when they're closed, there's probably some certain times of the day where it hits. Yeah, um, your mention of the 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 glare, um, uh, my my stare at <laughs> that's something that my teammates would probably um, comment on as well. But. You know, I just I took I took it seriously, and I, yeah, I was working did. hard out there. But on oh, top of that, player? I just have um, very significant eyebrows, so sometimes I just don't <laughs> think that you, that you can hide that. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I mean to be fair, you know, you're playing a game, and I'm up there just messing around on an iPad, you know, or like trying to get the right song up. So, well, yeah, I, I always tried to be encouraging and um, a leader when I was on the mound, but. I, I definitely turned around um, sometimes and uh, had had facial expressions that probably were not always so positive when we were in the heat of the moment. So <laughs> now, do you um, did you have one walk up song your whole career? or Did you change it up? <sighs> what might those songs have been? Because I know the, that's that's those crucial. Are, those the are the bane of my existence. <laughs> it's how many swear words were in yours? <laughs> you know, I don't I don't remember. Isn't that terrible? I don't remember if I ever changed it. We should have that in the stat books. Yeah, I, <laughs> what their walk up yeah, song. Yeah, we got everything else. <laughs> Baseball stats, softball stats. We got to have that. Should write yeah. that in the be, a scorebook would be a more appropriate place for that. Yeah. Um, I won't back down was one of the ones I had. When I oh was, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So that was for me, and I don't I don't remember if I ever had any different ones. Hmm. I don't. Um, those were always fun, though. Yeah. It would if I hear on my some toes of those, during the home side of the inning. That's right. Yeah. If I hear some of those songs, I'll immediately be flashing back to, oh, I think that was in 2013, so-and-so had that song. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Jamie Mazinkowski, Katie Bolin, Allie Hendrickson, they probably all had pretty memorable um, yeah, yeah, songs yeah. that they – but for me, I think, you know, it just wasn't as much of a – an identifying thing. I was thinking about other other things, but that's one thing. I, and I, I wonder if the current student athletes feel the same way. But I remember when I was SID, regardless of the sport, the 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 athletes of that particular sport would be adamant about the music yeah. played. And um, so softball was the one sport where I never felt like you guys necessarily cared during the in between the innings. So I'd throw some Bob Dylan on there or it, some it Bob Marley, de- different on, things like I, that. I remember one of the traditions before yeah, in, in the last few years that you were the SID and it would like that last game of the home, last home game of the season, uh, and it would become 80s day. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You kind of got a sense sometimes from the field that, like, why are they playing this music? <laughs> I, I think some of it comes from softball. It, it is – an important sport, obviously, and you're focused on playing it, but it kind of has a laid back vibe to it. It's really similar feeling. to baseball, you know, like there's room, there's no clock, uh, there's there's room to play. 
And so I, I, that's the best part about that sport in my mind. Well, and I think for me, I love music, but I love a lot of music. So to to be attached to some particular thing was not something that was significant for me. Sure. You know, yeah, you threw other things on. I was probably like, oh, yeah, this is fine. Like, nice. we got a little something going on here. So, <laughs> And we played a variety of things on our warm-ups. Um, oh, we had yeah. a diverse group of girls yeah, that liked a lot of different things. So it kind of encompassed all those yeah. um, different do you, personalities. Do you still play sports? Um, no. and But most of that has probably come with my recent um, – undertaking of having children and doing a doctorate program. So now you're ready to coach. Yeah. There you go. I, actually, I have been, um, there's some people wanting some pitching help at the younger level. So someday when I carve out enough time to do some of that stuff, then I probably will start helping with um, some of the youth um, softball girls. Awesome. If they yeah. want to do that. My husband and I did coach our first t-ball um, team this summer. So that was kind of fun with our sons. But the last sport I played was at a birthday party at the lake, and a bunch of us old athletes got on the sand volleyball courts and had a heyday trying to get back into it, and none of us could move the next day. <laughs> but it was really fun to see uh, that group of people get – we actually played a decent little round of volleyball nice. because everybody just was able to play on some of those physical skills, but it was it was a good time. A good deal. Yeah, that is fun. Um so, Cassie, what, where'd you go, and, and what did you do after you graduated CSC? I, I believe you graduated in 2010, 2011? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. Um, at that time, I was ready to go. Um, my boyfriend at the time, my now husband, he was staying for his fifth year of football. And I was I was going to go do something different. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I, did, I got my undergraduate in marketing, um, but I really liked food. I spent a lot of time baking when I was in high school and my early college years, uh, so I was like, oh, maybe I want to get into like food marketing or do something like that. And I found a five month culinary program that was in downtown Denver. So I actually rented an apartment right across from Coors Field, which because it was only five months, yeah, <laughs> that was, we were able to do that for five months yeah, nice. um, and went to this program. Uh, the first month was wine tasting. Uh, that's it. Because what you did at the end of the program is you could get certified as a sommelier to advise about wine. Don't ask me what I remember about that. It was a whirlwind, but that's actually when I started uh, getting accustomed to liking wine and appreciating it with food. So for the first month, you sat in a basement and you tasted wine all day long. Um, Sounds like a class that's perfect for it. It was was interesting. It was fun. And you know, it, it tied on my interest in being an athlete of like the physical aspect of doing things, but this was different. It was a di- your, it was your senses and trying to um, use those to uh, create different information. And then you went into three different rotations of the breakfast rotation, the lunch, and the dinner. So every day you would or you would be in those based on the different month, but we would sit down and eat a meal every day that we cooked and we'd work with the chefs to do that. So we went through those rotations and it was ma- mainly French cuisine. But we did some other things, and the last month of it was spent in Europe. Um, I ended up meeting some great people in that program. There was uh, one man and one woman. They were probably anywhere from 15 to 20 years older than I was, but I, I really got connected with them. And we were getting ready to go to Europe, and they said, well, we're going to go over there, but we're not going to Rome. And you got to go to Rome. Both of them were wealthy for different reasons. New money, old money, but they've traveled a lot and been to Europe a lot. And so we ended up going 10 days early on our trip, and I flew into Rome with them and spent time there. And um, they kind of just showed me the 
you know, the lay of the land based off of their experiences. Um, Went up to Northern Italy, and then we ended in Paris and finished up our um, culinary experience there where we took classes from different people. Um, But it was wonderful. It was another month. Then after that, I came home, and it was, what, 2010. We were still struggling with the different recession and things, Mm -hmm. so I applied for, like, 100 different jobs. Yeah. And I ended up taking a job at Panera Bread just because... It's something. Yeah. um, So I did that for a while, and then I ended up getting a sales job at a uh, phone manufacturer, a global phone manufacturer is what they did, IP and analog phones. And I worked in um, inside sales there, but my boss kind of had me do some different things as far as market research and trying to expand into different target markets that I kind of worked on on the side. So was that like uh, business-to-business sales or customer-facing? Um, business-to-business. Okay. It actually, we were selling from manufacturer to distributors. Okay. But as a salesperson, we would call the end users okay. to try to move the product sure. from the distributor. So it was kind of an interesting way oh, yeah. to do that. I, I was not only selling to the distributors because, hey, I need you to stock our inventory. I need to, then I started, it was mainly hotels. So if you would go to any hotel and you flipped it over, they would have almost the brand um, mm. that we sold on there. So hospitality was the main. But we were trying to break into healthcare and different things, which is what I was. That's the lucrative on. field. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your what's your favorite thing to cook? Mm, that's a hard question. Well, how, uh, this from, week, what's your favorite from thing? from French cuisine? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's so many things. I cook a lot of shrimp alfredo. Because my husband loves that. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, it's just a variety of things. Uh, trying to think about, you're yeah. putting me on the spot. I'm oh, thinking about, like, what am I going to do for dinner? It's like a mom thing. Like, what am I going to do for dinner today? Brittany and I say every day at lunch, like, what's for dinner? I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> we, we always like to ask in terms of what's your favorite, like, it's an absolute, but I will, I will say, like, what's one of your favorites? Is there a dish that you come back to on a somewhat regular basis? I'm not not from. I mean, I made in my school. I'm trying to think about what we made. We made some really good lasagna, oh, yeah. um, bechamel sauce, where it's like the cheese mm-hmm. and the cream. You put that together. Um, there were just. Yeah, I mean, the the most memorable dishes were just a steak that we had, and then a fish dish that we had. And I think that's where I fell in love with that pairing of wine. Is yeah. that you would do that, or the making of the bread. Um, Oh, good bread. Yeah, yeah we so. made homemade bread all the time, French bread and things. So, But at home, I mean, this is this is what's hard for me. I did that program. I got out and I cooked and I cooked. Then I decided to go back to school for my MBA. So then my cooking went down and then I decided to have children and then I decided to do my doctorate. So now I'm back to the basics of we do a lot of like sweet potato fajitas. That's a meal we really like. We make um, jalapeno poppers with a raspberry dipping Ooh, um, nice. like reduction. That's another thing we make. Um, the fancy stuff has kind of gone out the window. Though. Yeah, well, as it should. I mean, who needs that? Well, yeah. But I really, that you know, if you're going to ask about one of my favorite things to do, it is just sitting and enjoying a meal with somebody. And I think oh, yeah. that's what I decided when I went to that culinary program. I really had no intentions of being in the culinary industry I, I, or the restaurant. I appreciate it and I love it and I want to support it. But I like being the person that's enjoying it rather mm-hmm. than doing it. Um, yeah. So my idea was always to understand it more and then be on the business side of it to market it. Nice. Fun fact, Cassie made uh, the wedding cake for me and Brittany's wedding. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And, cool. Um, 
delivered it, and I think she was sick at the time yes, it was. when she was pregnant with her first son. Oh, wow. So yep. at it's our beyond. <laughs> I did. I had my mother-in-law uh, drive me up yeah. there because I was. We're not so, feeling so hot. No, no. And so then she drove me back so I could just sleep on the way. But. And it was a great cake, and I. I ate it one year later, as you're supposed to do, and okay. it still tasted wonderful. So, <laughs> Do you have a piece of cold storage still? I'm thinking no. of a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> no. I think that's bad luck. you got to pitch it out of <laughs> Where are we at on this? Let's see here. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, I, I think we used a photo of you. You worked in the admissions department here. Yep. Was that your first job coming back to Shadron? It actually wasn't. Um, okay. So what got us back here is I was doing inside sales, but the next step for me was outside sales at that job, and that's where I was headed. But that was going to be like two to three weeks of travel per month. Like it was going to be heavy, heavy travel. Um, Nice pay increase, but, you know, that's a lot Mm -hmm. of time to be away. And we were getting ready to get married, and kids were probably going to be in the future, and I just couldn't – even without kids, I didn't want to travel that much. and John was working in admissions at National American University in Colorado Springs. And he's like, I just don't want to do this anymore, and I have a passion for coaching. So we moved. His dad called and said, hey, there's an RD position in Shadron Open. Oh, Why, okay. Cassie, you can come back and be the RD and have the, you know, the housing. And John actually came back with no job and was going to volunteer coach. And then we were here for a little while, and then he got an adjunct, adjunct job. And started teaching a little. And he's like, oh, well, I'll coach and I'll adjunct. And then it was like, maybe I should do my doctorate. So he started his doctorate and ended up getting a job here. And at that time, I had been an RD for a year. And there was a job open in admissions. And I applied for that job. And then that's how I got into the admissions. There we Uh, go. Yeah. So, yeah. What what, what all did you work on in admissions? It feels like you were there for how many years? I think I was there for four years. Okay. Okay. I I was at the same time thinking it was like only a couple years or maybe it was five years. So. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) I'd have to look at that too. Um, But but it was a wonderful experience. I came in as a coordinator of admissions and, but my supervisor was Lisa Stein and I can't say enough good things about that relationship because she really fostered growth in me and allowed me to push the boundaries and do a lot of different things that I wanted to try. At the time, she was starting to be – it was her new position. She had been in admissions for a long time, but she was taking over as the director. And so we were both in new jobs, and it was a a transformational time of what we were trying to do there. And we really built a really strong connection as she was kind of mentoring me, but we were both growing at the same time. I was able to take over the call center at that time of students and really got to manage that team and foster that team and made a lot of different changes on campus Mm -hmm. um, for that. And that was a really good experience for me. And she just said, I'd bring her an idea and she would tell me, this is what I think, here's this. But if it was good enough, she'd say, go with it, you do it. Um, I ended up doing a lot of things above and beyond, but it was very um, empowering and rewarding for me. And that's kind of how it ended up being the – we put a proposal together for the assistant director of admissions right. based on that, and we worked together on that, and was, we were able to create that position. Great. Yeah. yeah. So fast forward a bit. How would you get into teaching? Kind of an interesting story there, too. Um, I always kind of had an idea that maybe I wanted to teach when we got back into higher education. I didn't know exactly how that would um, happen. My father-in-law, mother-in-law, and my husband are all uh, professors up here. And I thought it would be a little bit farther down the road. And I, was, I really loved my uh, position as the assistant director. We had a great team. I got to work on the NESIS team, which was a collaborative team on campus and 
with the other colleges in the state that worked on problems, um, technical problems, and trying to solve that. And that was a really good, like, critical thinking, problem-solving mm-hmm. team, uh, productive team to work on. But I started asking questions about doing my doctorate. And I talked to three mentors of mine here on campus. Um, they happened to be all females, and they'd all said, you know, if I could go back, I would have done it. If circumstances were different and I could go back, I would have done it. So I said, okay, I should probably do this. I'd had my um, son. I'd, he was a year old. I said, well, I'm going to start my doctorate program. So I started asking people on campus about doing it and, you know, Ph.D., DBA. And then before you know it, I have someone sitting in my office saying, so you're interested in a doctorate? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, we have a position that's available here on campus. Would you be interested in that? And at the time, I was like, well, I'm not sure that I am. Um, I, I thought it was maybe just a one-year uh, opportunity, but it was not. It was actually a tenure-track position because I wasn't willing to give up my job as assistant director to apply for something else. But right. I ended up applying for the marketing position, and I got that, and I got to get into teaching a lot earlier than I anticipated, but I'm grateful for. Um, I don't think I knew – I think I knew I'd like it, but I didn't know that I'd have a passion for it. I would have never told you I would be a teacher yeah. when I was younger. Um, or speaking in front of people, actually. That was a, in college. Oh, I did not want to raise my <laughs> hand. I didn't want to speak in front of people. Um, and I think that's just where the practice, you know, and persistence, you can get comfortable and do things oh, that I'm even sure. you're scared of you can do. And now I talk in front of people all the time. So uh, I really enjoyed the the teaching aspect and, and getting to work with students and continue my learning, I think, has been what's been a lot of rewarding uh, aspects of the job, too. Yeah, I absolutely think, um, because I spent a few years adjunct teaching and photography, and, you know, even if uh, you have a bad time of it on a given day, you're still getting something out of it. Oh, yes, yeah. And you you get things from the students. Um, It is hard to not want to please them all, like to make sure that it's super influential for them all. But, you know, really, if you can engage... a couple of them in uh, creative ways and they take a lot of away from it, it's a success. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of different approaches to it. I, don't, I, I do not think I will ever be unchallenged in my position because of that. For one thing, the students are just going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, the learning uh, environment is just going to change, and I think that's something going to change. And I think that's something that's exciting to me about the position. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we got on the list to talk about your doctor, but I, actually, I won't, that makes me want to ask you now. What, what year did you start teaching, like, as a regular thing? Um, so 2017. All right. So you've gotten four or five years now. What changes have you seen just in that period? In higher education yeah, or, or in, for in how you in, Maybe in how you've taught or, you know, what, what trends have you seen in how, how we're presenting material or, you know, any of that kind of stuff? I mean, I definitely think that we have a lot more access to ways to diversify how we present material. But I, I think you have to be cautious of that, too. You know, you don't want to just do the, the new thing just to do the new oh, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think where I have changed the most in teaching, I think I tell my visitors when they come to do this, which I didn't realize would be so challenging. But as a professor, you are ex- expected to be an expert in your content. Expert, right? That's what you're doing. But you're always learning your content. Yes, yes, that's that's very true. (laughs) And then you also should be, uh, you know, very good at communicating in the written word and verbally. Like you got to be skilled at that to do the job well. And then over here, you're supposed to be a good teacher. 
which all three of those could be a career path yeah, in their, yeah. you know, on their own. And so I think it's finding that balance of what unique skills you have and what your content is and who your students are and combining those to create um, an engaging learning environment. But in teaching, you got to go sometimes outside of the box to be successful, but that's also going to mean that you're going to fail, yeah. you know, terribly. Sometimes I remember walking out of some of my classes and just like wanting to put my hands in my, or my head in my hands and cry because it just did not go well. Yeah. Um, but you learn from those things and every class is different. One, one time I'll have a class that comes in, they're super engaged and they want to talk. And then the next class is silent. Yeah. But you have to have different, um, approaches to that. You know, I, the silent classes and I just say, Hey, talk to your partner. And then the room erupts because they just don't want to talk in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. So it's really been a job where I have to try to be more agile all the time. Um, we had a friend over this weekend and we were talking to him and he's a really good teacher and he just has a lot of different ways to say like, you know, if it's actually Jordan Haas, he teaches here on campus and he's a math teacher, but he's got, you know, such a great personality for connecting with people. And he says, when nobody's talking, I'll be writing up on the board and he'll say, what's the answer? And he'll look and he'll go, that's right, Jessica, it's four. And you've got it, you know, just to just call them out and get them engaged, but in a lighthearted way. And I think that um, communication aspect is really engaging for me. I got into marketing because I like to understand people. Why do we do what we do? And so when I'm watching the class, I'm watching their behaviors. What do they react to? How do I get them to do things? Um, and that's been engaging for me. That's great. For me, what has changed as yeah. a teacher, when I first got into it, I tried to teach them everything. Oh, my gosh, I've got all this content. I, I got to touch on Get everything. all out there. <laughs> now, as I grow in my teaching, I really try to focus on a couple main components. There's other assignments that makes them dabble in it, but the ones we're going to focus on with me and my facilitation and my feedback yeah. are going to be fewer, and we're going to engage more in them. We're going to get deeper into those um, so that people can remember them and take something away from the sure. class. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So yeah, we'll we'll get back on to the doctoral track. Yeah, how, how <laughs> tell us about your doctorate um, <laughs> in uh, two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, <laughs> quick go. Um, I got my doctorate at George Fox University, and it's out in Oregon. It was a it's a cohort program. There were eleven of us in the program, and we had to do six residencies. And you know, I was really wishing with I had my first kid, I was pregnant, newly pregnant with my daughter, and I just started the program. I didn't really want to do the residencies, but I was looking for a particular type of school to go to, and I was super nervous to go out there, but going to those six residencies um, each summer, so it was a two-week one and then a one-week one for three summers, I ended up making some serious connections with people again. There's four of us in the marketing concentration, and we actually all are probably going to go meet in Oregon here in December and go to graduation which I may not have done if I didn't have those connections. Uh, what part of the state is that? Um, it's in Newburgh, and so it is just like 30 miles outside of um, Portland. Okay. Um, so it's not too far. Uh, it's a really nice little uh, place. Little college, little college yeah, town going yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> um, it's grown a lot uh, when we were going out there. But I have a colleague, Dr. Eva Fast, now she's getting ready to finish her uh, dis- dissertation. But she's going to be a friend for life. Nice. Um, and I met her, and we ended up staying with each other. Even our last residency, five of us got an Airbnb. Um, three guys and her and I got an Airbnb, and we'd sit and hash out our research and our projects. So I got to meet some really neat people doing that. Well, that sounds like a great collaboration. It was. It was. Um, it was a good experience, and I learned a lot from it. So, 
I've, I've heard of uh, similar programs. I had I have some friends who did um, <clears throat> the uh, the MFA in creative writing from the UNO, and and they have it's a cohort program as well, and they meet at the Lead Lodge uh, in Nebraska City, and they talk about the benefits of where you can just get in that group outside of the classroom and you just connect and you work on stuff and workshop stuff and yep. it sounds like it's really great. Yeah. Well, and you just, you know, you are hashing out the information with somebody else beyond just asking your professor and mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of chewing on the topics of, hey, how are we going to do this? How did you approach it? Um, those relationships really mattered. And, you know, all of us were dealing with all sorts of life circumstances uh, sure. during the program and yeah. to try to stay persistent and finish it. That support was... Um, invaluable to have uh, during all of that. So how many years total has that been then from doctorate start to finish? So let's see, I started in 2017, uh, four years. I did it four in four years. years. Yeah. Because I just finished this last spring. That's right. Yeah. With um, pandemic stuff going on, it feels like time has no meaning anymore. <laughs> so I, like, I remember seeing probably we had the, the announcement, you know, the uh, so-and-so's gotten their doctorate. And yep. so it's, it seems like, has it been three years now that you've uh, had yeah. your doctorate? <laughs> <laughs> Where are we yeah, at? it has no meaning anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yep. so, so speaking of cohorts, you're responsible for the Rural Business Leadership Initiative, which is a program. Uh, it's more, initiative. More pro- yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. More <laughs> commonly <words>. known <laughs> as uh, the RBLI. Yes. Uh, and it has a cohort of 15 students every year, right? Yes. Tell, yeah. us, tell us a little bit about the RBLI. Um, so this is a, a program that was started a couple years ago, and um, we've got a nice foundation to it, but we are looking for growth. But I want to be um, careful when I say growth because I'll talk to you a little bit about what my vision is is um, for that. But really, you know, I spent a lot of time this summer chewing on what's what's the mission and vision of, of this program and, and what are we going to do and how is it going to contribute. And um, when when doing stuff, I really ended up coming on whether this means something to the students or not for our, our committee and what we are doing is it's going to be an ecosystem. We want to cultivate a mature ecosystem that fosters this interconnected network that sustains itself, right, and feeds itself and gives back to itself um, so that you can get the the right group of people that are passionate about rural areas and engaged in rural areas so that we are more um, we are more agile, right? When you work with a group of people, you can become more agile when you're all working towards some of the same groups. And, you know, things are so disruptive and things are changing, and we want – to establish rural leaders that can have that adaptability as well as that resilience um, to some of that disruption that's happening. Uh, The idea behind it is to cultivate this group of people that can create more value with uh, together than they can as one person. Well, it sounds like a great initiative, not program, but uh, (laughs) so it involves what? Accounting, agribusiness, what what are the disciplines? When it started, it was accounting, agribusiness, and finance. Uh, I have just now taken over as the coordinator, and I have opened it up to all the options. As um, I want more students to have access to it, I also think students coming out of those programs will still be great contributors to our our area. Um, We're really looking for students. For me, it's more about getting the most engaged people at the table rather than the most people at the table. That is the idea at this this program. And so we really have the idea of getting these students who say, hey, I'm interested in leadership in rural areas. We want to stay in rural areas. I want to contribute. So our group of committee members 
is working to cul cultivate these experiential learning um, opportunities to engage students that will equip, equip them with a particular and unique skill sets to rural areas that will allow them to influence and empower other people. Um, this semester, our first workshop, we've designed them in workshops rather than meetings. We have six a year that the students will have to go to um, as part of the program. And then we have additional opportunities that they can engage in that are optional so that they can continue to grow. But we did a values-based workshop. Um, in leadership, we are working on these students figuring out what their main three values are so that then they can figure out where they're going to grow from. And that can kind of help us lead in their direction. And so they did that workshop here in September uh, next week. They have a reflection workshop on that process because they are starting to build a portfolio um, for themselves so that when they're done with the program, they'll be able to have a portfolio of documenting what they've done. And we'll do a reflection workshop. And then in November, we have an alumni event. And I think we're going to bring about nine alumni to campus. And they are going, we have two keynote speakers, but then we're going to have roundtable discussions with the other ones. And then afterwards, we're breaking up into workshops where our upperclassmen are actually going to do resume workshops with rural leaders that are coming to give them feedback on that. And then our underclassmen are going to talk to the uh, industry professionals about that cultivation of leadership and values as they begin their program. Oh, this sounds like a huge asset to the students involved. Yeah. So well done. Now, you mentioned opening up the program to all the, uh, the focus areas in, in business. And for our listeners, give us an overview of what all is taught or, or what, what, what areas can students focus on if they go into uh, our undergraduate business program? And also, what areas are you teaching in specifically if they want to learn more from Dr. Cassie Ritz? Yeah. So I'm going to have to make sure I don't miss any of these, right? It, so it's I don't... like this varied thing for, for all that's going yeah, on. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have man you can focus in management, in marketing, in finance, agribusiness, um, information systems, and accounting. So those are the seven that we have. We do have an education track, too, um, okay. and then a general business. But the RBLI is focused on those um, seven focus or option areas okay. for what you're going to do. Uh, for me, I focus on teaching marketing classes. I am heavy. I've been heavy in principles of marketing the last several years, but I did my first graduate class this fall. I have taken over market research. I do consumer behavior, promotion, and advertising and then this, I will also do uh, marketing strategy, so our capstone. It's a busy um, time. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, those are a lot of different courses, but I really enjoy uh, the content in all of those. Yeah. Um, now, I, for our listeners, I've uh, photographed in Cassie's classroom a few times now for um, getting promotional images for our CSC marketing material. And I always get that sense of strong engagement from you. Like I can tell you've got a passion for the material, and that's just great to see. I do. You know, I do. I think when it comes to teaching, I, I got to figure this out a little bit. I've had a couple of students say I'm intimidating, which I try to be really <laughs> flexible and approachable and things. But I think some of that comes with I do. I get excited about what I'm talking sure. about. Um, I really uh, I'm a continuous learner and I want to share with students the benefit of that for them. And I think if we're going to have students come out of our college, the best thing that they can do is cultivate this passion for learning, right? We can never teach them everything they're going to need to know, but what we can teach them are effective ways to learn and habits that develop your ability to do that. Um, I'd like to focus on the big picture, like make sure you guys can understand the big picture of what's going on, but then also dive into how does this apply to your life? How are you going to take like these small aspects and how do you, yeah. does it apply to what you're doing to break down those concepts? 
uh, with that. And to kind of, I, I hope to combat, it's hard to do. I do it myself, right? You get busy, things are going on, to combat the short-term thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really working, trying to, uh, you know, take my teaching philosophy or take the way I address my classrooms is how do I help these students understand the importance of long-term thinking and long-term planning to actually uh, be more resilient, uh, you know, meet your objectives and do that, even though I think there's so many pressures of our current culture and how busy we all are that makes us go to that short-term analysis. Oh, absolutely. What are some things you enjoy outside of work, Cassie? When you have time. Yeah, I was going to say, in the last couple of years, it's been really hard to think about that. (laughs) Being a mom, doing school, no. um, Outside of work, I, I really enjoy reading. Um, I like reading all sorts of different books. I like to cook. I kind of talked about that. Sure. Uh, we spend a lot of time cooking. One of our favorite things we probably do every week is we have a really good, um, some friends here, Coach Northrop and Megan Northrop here on campus. We went to school with Riley. And then I feel like it was such an added benefit because he ended up marrying like the most wonderful friend I could ever have. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> thank you, Riley, for that. I got you and your wife. Um, but they come over once a week for dinner and we sit around and we have good food and we just enjoy. That's probably one of my favorite things to do. I've dabbled in gardening a little bit. I find it really rewarding, but it's really hard to do. Oh, yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> but it's really fun, and my son likes it. He always, you know, I have mom, I have such a green thumb. I can do all this. And it's true. I will, like, plant all the things just right, and Wade will go and, like, throw stuff in the dirt, and his explode. <laughs> um, but I've enjoyed doing that with my kids. Uh, nice. But other than that, I have not done much um, outside of work, school, and chasing kiddos. Well, that's yeah. that's a big part of your life right now. Right so. now it is. Yes, the phase I'm in. Yeah. That's all good. Well, we come to that part of our program, Cassie, where we've got the most important questions to ask you, the quick hitters. Okay. Which seems appropriate. To, that's kind of a softball term. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Pinch hey, hitter, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> a favorite movie of yours. Not, <sighs> the, not the favorite. I always like to say it's just one of, because who can pick? Okay, so if I'm going to talk about the movies I've probably watched a hundred times. Sure. Um, it's got to be A League of Their Own and Pretty Woman. And that probably is just the way it is. Those are the movies that I, right. I've enjoyed a lot of times over and over again. Classic. It's funny yep. how we always, we all seem to have, there's that handful, you know, what do I want to watch? Uh, go back to the well. Yeah. Yep, yep. What's a hidden talent of yours? I'm good at ping pong. We need to pit her against Austin Stevens. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> because Austin is really good at ping pong too. You know, we, we kind of had that... Um, what was that? The uh, like the slow pitch softball thing, students versus employees at one point. Oh yeah, yeah. The CSC there was a hitting camp. contest, and yeah. Cassie accidentally beamed me in the leg. So I don't want to. I don't want to. Accidentally, <laughs> I can only imagine what kind of injuries would result during the campus wide ping pong tournament. <laughs> a lot of carpal tunnel. <laughs> I uh, I actually, I mean, my dad when I was younger, I was too little to even hit over like and he would give me two bounces but we would play in our basement every night and I'd play and play and play and he'd never let me win but you know I spent a lot of time working on that hand-eye coordination which I think attributed to some of my athletic success Um, I probably wasn't ever the strongest or the fastest but I was able to control things with the ball pretty well Um, and I remember playing and playing and then I'd beat him and I'd be so excited and then all of a sudden he'd shake his hand up and it would be his left hand and I would just bawl and be so upset because I, I still didn't beat wow, him. Wow, what a ringer. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's tough love there. I that is. Well, and oh yeah, I don't know what my skill sets are anymore, but I've, uh, John is very athletic, my husband. 
So basically any physical thing that we try to compete against each other and he can beat me. Um, but ping pong is one that he, I think we've yeah. played all the time and he's maybe beat me three times. Yeah, I, I don't know if people realize it uh, just because John's my bud, but I think he's probably arguably the most athletic employee on campus. Oh, yeah. He has... So a, the gauntlet's been thrown down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the, that's the bar, huh? <laughs> that, that's if he can still move around now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. I, I do have a... I, you know, I would play if everybody, most people that are familiar with athletics up here know Joe McLean. Um, from a, and he's super competitive and he... Uh, played a lot of ping pong in the basement of High Rise. Him and Isaac Stockton and I would go down there and play. And they would beat me probably, I don't know, nine times out of ten. I mean, they were good, right? Yeah. And they played all the time. But there was a significant night that I went down, and like the tenth time we played, I beat him. And Joe was so mad. I mean, he just <laughs> lost it. He was like, oh, my gosh, we have to play. He'd beat me nine times beforehand. Yep. And I was like, nope, that's it. Just dropped it and left, and he, like, couldn't get over it. <laughs> I, I used to play, when he lived here, I used to play with racquetball quite oh, a bit. Yeah. And I would beat him, and he would do push-ups in the hallway as, like, a form of punishment or something. I'm like, That's what are you doing, Some sort man? of dedication yeah. right there. We need to get him on the pod. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you received as a college student, or to continue our theme of uh, temporizing, uh, one of the best pieces of advice you received? <laughs> Um, you know, I think I'm going to say I received it in my doctoral program, and I kind of wish, and even if I received it when I was younger, I didn't hear right. it. Um, but we got this really well-crafted, I wish I could remember exactly what he said, email from one of my professors that was basically just saying, like, you, ha you have to focus on outcomes in higher education, right? You got to get the grades, you got to keep the scholarships or, so that you can get into the schools or do whatever. But we need to not forget about the journey, you know, don't get so focused on the outcome that you aren't actually trying to do the learning or engaging as much as you can in what you are doing. Um, that was a really good piece of advice that I received, and I'd like to share that with my students now. Yes, do well. Yes, meet your goals. But don't forget about what you're doing along the way. And I think that could be – that's outside of higher education too. Mm -hmm. um, we often get so caught up in I'm busy, I'm busy. Well, what, like, what, what are you – like, you know – make an awareness. I work on that with my students too in my marketing class. I want them to be more aware um, and self-aware of what's going on in their actual environment so that then they can be more aware of the big scheme of the environment so that they can make decisions to do that. But we are pretty distracted yeah. um, today with everything we have. And I think it takes an actual like, you know, mindful thing to go back and say, no, I'm not going to do that and keep doing that to practice mm -hmm. it. So that, that professor left a pretty significant mark when he said, hey, you've got life, you've got other things going on, this is part of that journey, get your outcome done, get it done, but don't forget about, like, experiencing what you're doing during it. That's good advice. Yeah, it is. So you said you like to read. Uh, who's a what's a favorite book or who's a favorite author? This is, I think this is hard because just recently I've been so invested in, like, um, how things work and how people think about things. I mean, right now I've read almost every Brene Brown thing you can read. I've been pretty engaged with how, her study of how people do things and why they do it. Um, interesting book by Susan David, Emotional Agility, was a good one that I've just read. And then um, even Amy Cuddy, she did the uh, TED Talk on the, like the power pose and how that can do. But a lot of the stuff I read is um, understanding people. Hmm. Um, so that was um, – I've read books about influence and uh, – I don't read a lot of stories. I don't know why my intern last year made fun of me. She goes, you read that book to go to bed? <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, my. <laughs> uh, what word comes to your mind when you think of Shadron State? You know, for me, I think it's connection. connection. I we think that it. is yeah. what the school did for me. I was able to participate in so many things, and I really did build relationships that I still have. There's still six girls from my softball team that were all super close. Um, do you guys have, like, the six-way group chat going? We do. Nice. Yep. It's, yeah. yep. It's, it's actually now called um, the adult Snapchat group because now we're adults. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, no, I it was just such a memorable time, and I got to have so many friends, and I just had such an enjoyable experience here. And part of that's because it was a small campus. Mm-hmm. Um, you were able to engage in things. You didn't get lost in it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was a part of the athletics program. And at the time, for me, that was just like a big community of people that I made a lot of different friends with. Um, and professors. I had professors that gave me letters of recommendation that I still talk to. And I do think that was uh, helpful when I applied for the marketing position, too. They they had seen my work and what I'd done and the energy I put into things that they already knew. So those impressions that I was able to make here and those relationships that I made with people continued to be um, giving as I continued throughout my career. Well, we'd like to hear it. Yeah, yeah. and it certainly sounds like you're keeping that trend and, and uh, tradition of, of passing those connections along. So, yeah. Trying to. Keep those students engaged. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining us, Cassie. We, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me.